0: Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
1: In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Trans World Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica.
2: Hey, welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Deal Board Podcast. Uh, this is our next edition of a live podcast. We've done several several of these during the uh, COVID crisis, and they've been working out great, and we've been able to get a lot of great information out there, and uh, Jessica, we have another good lineup today of uh, great speakers and information to give out.
3: Yeah, we've got a, another great lineup. And if you didn't watch our first two live podcasts, they're, they're great episodes. They're available at the dealboardpodcast.com. But today really kind of spurred, the topic spurred out of the last two podcasts. And I think these PPP loans have brought to light SBA financing in business acquisitions. And um, a lot of people have reached out to us and said, hey, I didn't even know that SBA had loan programs for businesses and things like that. So we decided to do a podcast focused in SBA, but also the new world of SBA as we're living in in 2020. And we've got some great guests joining us today.
2: Yeah, we do. We we have John Wall from Live Oak Bank and Lynn Singletary from uh, Bank United. And so I uh, you know I want to thank both Live Oak and Bank United for being great partners of Transworld over the years. Uh, we are we've been working with them on many, many deals. And there's a lot of programs out there. you know basically the main one that we work with at Transworld is the 7A program uh, that helps people buy business acquisitions. And then of course the 504 loan is also an adjunct to that, another program that involves, uh, commercial real estate. and those are the two main programs we've been working with over the years. And it's it's been a, a, a really a godsend for business owners to help them sell and monetize their business. And for business buyers to help leverage in and buy a business, uh, we saw during the economic downturn where they raised the, the cap from two million dollars to five million dollars. And we've been going along with that for the better part of a decade now. And I think the SBA is going to be even more important moving forward. Now, the PPP, the Paycheck uh, Protection Program, was rolled out. Lots of money went through. The government was nice enough to say, hey, we're not going to handle this. You guys, the banks are. And so, uh, John, we saw John a couple of weeks ago and, and talking to Hakeem, and they were all consumed with trying to get this money out. But now what happens, right? So now here we are. Uh, the the money may run out. The money uh, we could we're certainly going to talk about that, and we're going to also talk about what we think the future is because the SBA program has historically been a great way to bail out the economy.
3: Yeah, and I think we we are going to see some stuff that's going to happen more moving forward, especially related to the seven A program. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. So really, how the format works today? Andy and I have some topics that we're going to t- uh, talk about with John and Lynn. We've got um, panelists style, We've got some questions to ask them, but we really want this to be driven by everyone that's on the call today. We know lots of people have tons of questions about SBA and business lending, and what does that mean? So if you haven't been on a Zoom call before, in the footer of your Zoom um, area, you can submit a question using the Q&A button. Um, And Danielle, who's been with us for the last few podcasts, is going to moderate that Q&A. So this is your chance. You have two great experts in business lending. This is your chance to get your questions answered. You can also ask them anonymously. So if if you don't want everybody on the call to know who you are, you can ask the the, uh, the question anonymously. And like we always say, no question's a dumb question. So, you know, please please feel free to reach out to us and ask some questions. But we do have some questions teed up and topics. Um, and maybe just, Andy, to get started, let's just talk about what SBA lending is. Like, and we can talk mainly focus John and Lynn, about the S7A uh, program, because that's what we usually use, but like just, Basics.
1: SBA Lending 101, what is it?
3: do we we go to John so that, first. Yeah,
4: John. So the SBA 7A program is a lending program that's facilitated by banks. And there's different certifications banks can have. Live Oak Bank is a preferred lender in which we're able to make decisions autonomously on behalf of the SBA. But what it is, is it provides enhanced credit terms for a bank. With business acquisition, there's typically risk of ownership change, uh, cash flow, lack of collateral, those sort of things. So the SBA, the U.S. government, backs a currently 75% of the loan if it does go bad and everything, all the T's are crossed, I's are dotted, things along those lines. It provides a larger credit box to be able to do ownership changes, business acquisitions with longer terms than what would be done conventionally and also doesn't have the type of collateral requirements that a conventional loan would have.
2: Yeah, and Lynn, you could kind of take from that. I mean, banks basically wouldn't make these loans unless it was for the guarantee, right?
5: Right, and so a lot of people think that it, it's an SBA loan that the government's making the, the, the loan. But it, in reality, it's the, it's the banks that are lending their own money and the government is giving us, like John said, a, a credit enhancement. They're giving us a, a, a guarantee that if anything goes bad with that loan, the government will step in and they'll make good on 75% of whatever the outstanding balance is. And, and the lender would absorb the 25%. And then there's other programs like if, if the business is an export business, we can obtain a 90% guarantee versus the 75% the because that incents lenders to really make... Loans to, to to companies that are exporting um, rather than importing into the into the, the United States. So that's that's another incentive. But uh, certainly we it's a cash flow kind of of loan. So we're not lending based on on loan to value. We're not lending based on collateral. We certainly need to take collateral if it's there uh, to secure the loan. But it's a cash flow. Um, loan. So we need to look at historical numbers, if it's an existing business to make sure that the cash flow is there to service the proposed debt that we're looking at. And if it's a startup, we have to look at projections to make sure that the projections are, are, are solid enough to convince us that the business is going to be able to pay back the loan.
2: Yeah, that's great. That's a great overview. So and and we've seen you know, a lot of businesses being uh, uh, certainly during the economic downturn. After that, it was tough to get some loans through. And then, for the again, for the last decade, it's been a very brisk business in the SBA lending world. So, John, and we'll go to back to Linda first. You know, what do you you know what's the current state of you know what do you see right now? I uh, think people on hold, or you you see some of the some of the banks starting to dip their toe back in the water with some of these loans.
5: Yeah, yeah I mean, it, I, oh, sorry, John.
2: Linda, go uh, Linda. go first.
5: Okay. Uh, you know, certainly before February, you know, things were going along pretty well. Okay. And then then everything happened, um, as we all know, and things came to a screeching halt. And so really the only loans that the, the banks have been making in the last month or two have been the PPP loans, um, and where the banks have kind of stepped back and said, well, let's see kind of what's happening here. Now that we've gotten through the PPP loans, um, I, many of the banks, Bank United included, are, are coming back and saying, okay, well, we know that there are certain industries that have been hit really hard, hotels, restaurants, bars, you know, all of those have been hit really, really hard and many of them have closed. So you know, a lender can't make a loan to a company that's, that's closed. So those will be difficult loans. There are other uh, industries that really have not been affected or have been affected minimally by what's going on. And so each lender is gonna be looking at what the industry is, um, how affected was it? We've been giving some direction from the SBA on, on what we have to do to document the file uh, to justify why we are moving forward with a loan under the you know economic situation that we're in now but it's it's not that lenders are some lenders are not many lenders are looking at it like we are um on a case-by-case basis how did how's the economy affecting the business that you're looking at
3: to make a loan That's yeah it,
2: go good.
3: No, I was going to say, that's great. And I, John and I talked a little bit about that too, but I think maybe also, John, if you could talk about, um, the PPP, how, I think there's a lot of confusion out there of how the PPP affected business lending. And and some of it was just a timing perspective, but, you know, based on our conversations in the past, if you could just talk a little bit about like, how did the PPP affect what's going on with, you know, getting deals done in the business world too? Um, And do you see that getting better right now?
4: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think when the PPP loans first came out on April 3rd, it was really, you know, we didn't know how long the funds would be around. We didn't know what the demand would be. So it obviously took a lot of the lenders off the front lines and had were engaged in making PPP loans. I mean, it was a tremendous impact to small businesses across the country. And I think without the intervention and the PPP loan, program, you would have seen a lot more, I think you would have seen unemployment be a lot higher. And so I think now that there has been that initial demand, the surge has came, we've got round two. I mean, I just checked today, there's an additional $110 billion still available in the PPP program. And, uh, you know, the run rate's been about $2 billion. Um, so I was way off in my calculation and my bet with Andy that it would be gone. And in 96 hours with the second round. So there is still money out there. And when you look at that compared to $28 billion worth of 7A lending in all of 2019, you know, there are funds still available for folks that may need it. There are lenders still participating in it. And so that's that's the good the good piece about it. And I think moving forward, you know, there may, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions about the forgiveness piece of it. Um, you know this program has kind of been like building a plane while you're flying it. Not everything comes out right away uh, before takeoff, and even as of today, the rules for the forgiveness have not yet been issued. Uh, we believe that the Treasury are going to issue those either tonight or tomorrow. Um, but folks do have a sixty days in which to request that forgiveness once that once those rules come out. So I don't think you're going to see the surge and banks having to be or at least lenders like myself and land be engaged in that piece of it because they do have 60 days so I think it'll be a lot smoother process on the back end at least I hope so yeah well, I and, hope so
5: And a, a lot of lenders are, are recommending that the borrowers um, contact their attorneys and their CPAs um, to really get a handle on now what they should be doing in order to meet those guidelines and and, and I, from what I understand and what I read, the guidelines are even, they're not even set in stone yet. So they're, they're, you know, there are some, when it was first presented to everyone and the lenders, there were certain guidelines, kind of loose guidelines that were thrown out there. Now they're realizing that in practicality, some of these, like restaurants that were not even able to open, but they got the PPP loan two or three or four weeks ago. Well, if they're not able to open, they're not spending the money on payroll. So they wouldn't be able to meet the eight weeks initial request. So it's my understanding that there's, you know, it's evolving and none of us really know what the ultimate guideline is going to be until they come out. Yeah, I saw
2: saw Marco Rubio on a uh, Titus Center for Franchising call yesterday and he stayed on with us for 45 minutes talking about mostly PPP, and, the op- and that they are definitely looking at changing the rules, extending the eight weeks or, or starting the start date from when the business opens for business again. So they're looking to be flexible on that. I, I think, you know, uh, and I saw some guidance, John and, and Lynn, that, you know, anything under $2 million, uh, they were basically not going to approach, you know, they were not going to audit those uh, loans, um, probably just because they're too busy.
5: Sure, sure. Well, I mean, they're not going to audit them, but they're still going to meet, have to meet certain guidelines that in order to get the forgiveness through lenders. But I mean, it would be, it it would be devastating for some of these uh, uh, borrowers to not be able to get the forgiveness and then have to pay back this loan in 24 months in, you know, if you had a 150, 200, $300,000 loan the the payback would be pretty substantial if you had to do it within 24 months. So they're going to have to do something that is helping these people. Not yeah, get
4: espe- especially when you had folks rehire people where there was not revenue coming in the front door. Right. I mean, that's where I think it is tough for some of these bars or hotels or restaurants where you know they did the right thing. And you know, one thing I will say about the SBA program is. If it's in the spirit of the program, generally they will look to find a way to make things right um, with making adjustments. And obviously, Rubio has been a huge uh, proponent and very um, voiceful in you know bringing about the necessary changes.
2: Yeah, he's on the small business uh,
4: yeah committee, so uh, and, so and he,
5: he's been a real advocate for the the higher guarantee and the waiver of the SBA guarantee fees too. I don't know where that's going, but he he really is an advocate for the SBA program.
2: Well, you took the words out of my mouth because that's yeah. one of the questions that we had for you. There are some opportunities out there now to get a loan. And so Lynn, why don't you just finish that thought uh, with the waiver of the uh, SBA guarantee fees right now?
5: Well, it's not in place right now. Now, I mean, if you, the PPP loans, you had the waiver But right now, what is in place for the existing borrowers is uh, a six month um, basically forgiveness, not forgiveness because the government is basically coming in and paying the first uh, six months starting April 1st for the existing borrowers. Um, So it'll run through September, their their next payment would be October. And basically the government through the CARES Act is picking up their principal and interest payments. and then any any borrower that closes from now through the end of September, a uh, new borrower, their first six months of P&I payments would be absorbed by the government, which is, I think, huge. I think that was even better than the PPP loans, in, in my view, for the for the existing borrowers to really help them through this
3: time frame. Yeah, we've yeah, got we have a deal. go ahead. Oh, now, as I say, we've gotten great feedback. I think it's a, one of the things that got hidden in the CARES Act that um, really people weren't aware of. And we talked about it on our last podcast. and We're trying to bring light to it. But more and more people are starting to talk about that. I agree with you, Lynn. I don't know what we call it. You know, the SBA paying your loan basically for six months, not forgiveness, not look, whatever we want to call it. But um, you know, kicking you, kicking it to you, John. We've got we've got a couple of questions in the Q and A, and there's some concerns about there's going to be like a mad rush to close on these 7A loans to get this six months like, do you see their potential to be a backlog or delays in closing? Or, you know, one of the questions is like, could the money go away? Like, is there a cap on how many loans can be issued and the six months deferment be received? Yeah,
4: so a lot of good things. Right now, the 7A loan got, the authorization amount got rolled in with the PPP loan under the CARES Act. So right now, there's $110 billion in that pool. There's obviously some legislation that's going, uh, has been drafted out there to reauthorize just the SBA 7A loan program. So yes, there is a risk of dollars not being available, but I think that risk is pretty minimal and pretty short term in nature with the fact of the the slow run rate on the PPP dollars and there being money available today. And then also with these new legislations authorizing more money Um, For that, I think that everyone would be, I think there will be a little bit of a rush to try and close deals prior to that September 27th. I mean, who wouldn't want to get six months of PI paid? Um, I think that's really beneficial for a lot of these small businesses. I think some of the proposed changes that are in the legislation that is out there are also great from the possibility of providing an increased guarantee to the bank to help kind of limit the risk and stimulate more, uh, more lending to possibly increasing the project size to $10 million for 7A loans. And then also possibly waiving the SBA guarantee fee. So uh, there's benefits on the table right now. And I think there's even more benefits um, with this next stimulus package.
2: Yeah, I, I, uh, we have one deal. I was just about to say that closed specifically because- of the six month PI. Um, the but you know the buyer was totally not gonna go forward with the deal and said, you know what, I'm getting six months, I'm gonna have enough working capital. And I, I've said this before that sometimes after the closing, the buyer's in a better cash flow position than the seller was, because now they have you know working capital included as well. So and then you know, somebody, you know, what happened last time, one of the things was we saw, uh, the, the down payments kind of creep up, uh, where they want, you know, 25%, 20%, um, a, a, an increased seller note, maybe, you know, even up to 40%. Are, do you see that happening yet? Or do, do you, you think that's going to happen moving forward? And I'll go with Lynn first.
5: You know, I think it's going to be on a case by case basis, depending on the industry, um, that we're looking at, um, and, you know, the, the, the cash flow, I mean, the, the cycle of the cash flow. Um, so I, I really believe it's going to be just, a, you know, an industry um, by industry uh, decision by the credit folks.
4: And, and I would add to that, I think it depends on how soon someone's looking to do a deal. You know, we're kind of, a lot of states are still in the middle of this right now. Some states are opening up, returning a little bit more to normal life. So I think it depends on where in the country you are, the specifics of the deal. I think that if you're looking to do something in the short term, I think banks will hedge some of their risk with looking to have the seller participate and take on some of the unknown factor in the transaction. Sure. Um, I think those will help get deals done. Um, and you, the SBA does require you know, a minimum equity injection. Um, so, you know, that, that sits at 10%, there's some flexibility in the details on that, but, um, you know, I think per industry, I would, I would anticipate and tell buyers to be prepared with at least the 10%, um, you know, and that makes sure that that's in cash and available and that the seller carry is going to be more likely until we have a longer track record of how businesses are performing coming out of this.
3: Yeah, that's actually, um, John, that dovetails into a bunch of questions we're getting. It's just like maybe, like, real high level, John and Lynn, we can cover some of the basics of like, what does a typical SBA 7A loan look like? So, you know, we talked about down payment, minimum 10%, but we see, you know, 20% typically, whether that 10% comes from the seller or the buyer. But talk a little bit about like, down payment. Um, there's a question about what percentage of the business do they have to buy? Um, so that's a TF for you guys. And also like, you know, what are the terms that we see? So like, what are, you know, rates looking like, how, how long are the loans? What's the amortization schedule look like? So maybe I'll start with John and you can answer half of those.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Just, um, real quick cookie cutter. I mean, SBA sets a lot of the parameters for what these are. An acquisition loan is going to be on a ten-year, up to ten-year term and amortization. They're always fully amortized. There's no balloons associated with SBA loans. Um, one thing that you that you hit on a question about how much of the business needs to be bought um, under the SBA program. It's a hundred percent of the business has to be bought. You um, when you use an SBA loan, we do. Off, Live Oak does offer some conventional products that if you're looking to do some sort of partial buyout with an equity role or something along those lines, but I'll let kind of Lynn finish out some of the other components about down payment rate.
5: Right. So as John said, the SBA I um, last year or the year before came back and said, okay, it, it, prior to that, they actually would let every lender make up their own uh, criteria on business acquisitions as to how much cash injection that was required, they came back and they said, okay, we're going to make it across the board, absolute minimum 10%. So uh, business acquisition, uh, a borrower needs to put in 10% of the total project, which is the purchase price and working capital and closing costs. Um, Now, a portion of that can come from seller carry, but then that has to be on full standby. So typical sellers, typical sellers are not going to go for that. Anything over 10%, so let's say a, a, a lender, you got a large deal. Some lenders, if you've got a $2 million, $2 million, $5 million $3 million air ball or a goodwill deal, they'll want the buyer to put in a little bit more than 10%. They may require 15 or 20%. So in that case, we can, anything over 10%, you can start looking to the seller for some seller carry. Um, that would make it a little bit easier for the lender to, to approve that large unsecured debt. Um, and then some of that that seller carry can, range ranges. Some lenders will require it to be on a full standby for two years and then amortize out. Some lenders let it amortize day one. Um, so I think it just all depends on the strength of the, of the cash flow. And ability of the of the cash flow to service both debts, the lender's debt and the seller's debt. Um, so those are all different. I mean, they're, they're, those are negotiating um, factors that you have with the lender um, yeah. you know, when they're looking at the deal. And then if it, if the deal has real estate in it, so if it's a real estate acquisition along with the business, um, and the the real estate is a larger portion of the business uh, of the of the purchase price then you can amortize it over 25 years versus 10. So lenders like to have real estate in the deal. There's more collateral. And then also your borrower gets a longer amortization. And
2: And I see one of the questions was, uh, can the seller uh, uh, retain equity? And the answer is no, right?
4: No. Under the SBA program, correct. They cannot.
5: Correct. And the other thing they need to know is the seller can stay as a consultant in the business for up to 20, up to 12 months. So uh, they cannot stay on longer than 12 months as employee or consultant.
3: Just kind of a reminder for everybody, we've got a lot of great questions going on in the QA. Actually, at this point, Andy and I are probably <laughs> abandoning our script. Yeah. So um, if you if you have questions, that's where we're pulling the questions from now. Um, and even if it's very specific, where me, Danielle, and Andy are kind of wrapping them together and getting these questions answered for you. So keep Keep going on on that side. We've got a lot of questions. Um, Lyndon, I'll click, kick this one to you first. We started talking about PPP. We moved to 7A. Let's talk about if a business took a PPP loan, and this is a common question we're getting now, how does that affect the buyer of the business? Like, does it have to be paid off before closing? Or have you guys gotten any direction of how PPP loans will be handled in the transfer of a business?
5: Well, I I would think that if a, if a seller... Um, obtained a PPP loan and then they sell the business that's basically that would that would create i would think or cause them to have to pay that loan off because they're you know the 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 business that 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 received the loan is no longer no longer has the cash flow to service that debt right because they're they're selling the debt they're selling the 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 business and the borrower would be the, the seller. So I would think that that would, that seller would have to pay that loan back. Um, now, there, you know, the PPP loans, they're not, they're not, there's no collateral. Um, there's no personal guarantee. The loan is made to the, to the business, uh, but I would still imagine that that loan has to be paid back, right? I don't believe that it would be in a, a loan that could be assumed by the, um, the, the person buying it, buying that business
2: yeah, that's what we've heard. and uh, john, I, I we, John and I have, have were trading some stories the other day that some of these banks rushed out so so fast that they didn't even get paperwork signed, right?
4: Yeah, I've heard of some stories of people just ending up, you know, looking at their business banking account one day and there's money in there. um you know, why they're working on a deal with another bank. So I mean, it was a little bit like the Wild West. and you know, I think, I think it's so new with business acquisitions and the PPP being part of it that it's going to have to be negotiated between parties because you obviously want to keep those people employed and use those proceeds if they're not used up, but then you also need you know a partnership to make sure that you can get the right information to show that they're forgiven. So um, that no guidance has came out about that. And for folks that have a lot of questions around the PPP, the U.S. Treasury website has a FAQ out there that goes through a lot of different scenarios, which is a great resource for those. It also has, you know, the borrower guidelines. And um, so I would I would refer a lot of folks to that website for PPP questions, because it is very helpful and there's a lot of different scenarios that they go through.
2: So I, I did see a, a question and, a, and I think I heard Marco Rubio answer it correctly. Yesterday was whether or not uh, the PPP uh, monies would be taxable and I heard him say that he was going to work very hard to change that to no uh, but as of right now they are revenue right
5: That's what I've heard.
4: Yeah I've heard a couple different things that you know that if if you're not you may not be able to claim the expense if you're not claiming the income on it. So I think again that you know at least for tax return purposes, um, there's a fair amount of time because I think that'll be something important. Typically, any you know debt that's forgiven is taxable, so I think that was never the intent of the program. Um, so hopefully, that that is something that that gets figured out. So I have seen a couple of these questions about you know what what are folks what does a deal in today's world look like? And I think one of the important things that if you're on the selling side of a transaction right now is to have really clean financials, really clean and really current. And when I mean current, you know, typically we would have looked for financials within the last 60 days. Now I would say we're looking for financials within the last five to 10 days and looking to see what that comparison, you know, comparison year to date 2020 through May 14th looks like year over year. And then there's also going to be questions around the impact of COVID that each business owner is going to have to, you know, respond to not just from the banks, but from the business valuation folks or folks that might be involved doing due diligence as part of the, because, you know, as Lynn mentioned earlier, some businesses have been, you know, very adversely affected by this. Others have seen, you know, the complete opposite and have prospered through these times. So having clean books, current books with good comparisons um, will Will help facilitate the transaction.
2: And so, just to kind of one more about PPP. Mm -hmm. um, And some people, a couple of questions are: uh, you know, I never got my PPP loan, or I uh, applied for it and it's still pending, or um, are you only dealing with your customers now? I, I'll, I'll let Lynn start that question.
5: Well with Bank United, yes, we were we were only issuing PPP loans to our to bank customers, whether bar, they were borrowers or depository customers. and I think most lenders, most banks were doing that now there, there were some there are some um, non-bank lenders that were out there making loans to um, you know, just the general public. Um, but I think majority of the banks were making them to their customers. And they're, and they're they're still available. They're still available out there. There are still lenders that are making the PPP loans because there's still money left. Uh, but it slowed down a lot.
4: Yeah, for folks that are still looking for PPP dollars, they are still out there. I mean, there's 110 billion left. Um, you know, if you're a sole proprietor or 1099, some of the there are some fintech companies online that made the process very easy. Um, Live oak is still accepting applications for PPP for non customers um, so there there is still money available and definitely would take advantage of that I mean we've had the ability to you know impact over two hundred and fifteen thousand jobs across the country with the PPP loans so um, you know the next step will obviously be forgiveness on that um, but it has made a immense difference yeah
3: Thanks guys. Yeah. And, and I know there are even some of the banks that um, we've seen struggled, like in Colorado, we saw Wells Fargo had their issues and they're still working through the applications. I heard some people are getting funding, like as, as soon as today. So that's still working through. If there's people on the call, you're still in line, you know, it's just taking everybody some time. Like John, I think you mentioned there was, what was it? 68 billion that went through the SBA financing last year. And, and we just did, I don't know, I'm doing the math. About 500 billion, right? In a couple months,
4: there was 28 billion done in the full year. And you know, if you look at this over the last six weeks, you know we've done 400 plus billion. So I mean, it, it's pretty amazing when you think about it.
3: Yeah, I've been telling everybody, buy your banker a bottle of wine. Like they've they've had, they've had a rough couple months. So. <laughs>
5: Or a case of wine, yeah. It was a monumental, I mean, a monumental task that the
3: banks went through. To get yeah. it done. Exactly, exactly. Well, let's bring it back. We've got some clarifications on SBA financing. Um, I know interest rates, and you guys can talk about this a little bit more, interest rates are, just talk a little bit about how they're determined. Are they determined as a basis of prime? Are they fixed? Are they, um, you know, floating rates? And Lynn, maybe we'll start with you. And I know it depends on the deal, depends on the bank. But if you could just give the, the listeners an idea of like, how how are interest rates determined on these types of loans for business acquisitions?
5: On the 7a loan, they're typically priced off of prime um, and they can go anywhere from prime rate to prime plus two and three quarters. So two and three quarters is the maximum that SBA allows lenders to charge on the 7a loans. Um, you know again it's a like you said it's a, it's, it's a bank by bank situation. Some banks um, are offering some banks are offering fixed, uh, not a lot on the 7A's. Um, that are the shorter term, the, the 10 years, but um, there's rates out there and they, they, they range again from prime to prime plus two and three quarters. And, and I think each lender looks at the risk, looks at the type of loan, looks at the industry, um, and then determines, um, looks at the security, the cash flow, and then determines the, the pricing that uh, best fits that loan.
3: John, I don't know if you have anything to add to that or anything that on the Lehman side.
4: No, I mean what I would say is it's it's risk based pricing right now. When you think of prime plus two point seven five, you're at six percent. That is unbelievably cheap money um, when you're looking at the risk that the bank's taking for um, financing goodwill or an air ball. And there was a question about this, which is defined as really just the intangible aspect of a of a business. But you know, money's Really cheap right now at six percent. Considering you know if you're going to have to dilute your company with bringing in other shareholders or you know mezzanine debt or you know credit card debt, I mean that stuff is all upper single, lower double digit type. So um, it's a great time.
3: Yeah. Yeah, really great time. Yeah, great time to use money. Actually, John, while we're on you, the next question I think is a good one for you to answer specifically with the types of deals that Live Oak does. But there's a question about, you know, what if I want to buy a business above the five million dollar 7A cap? You know how how can somebody use a banker and lending partner to structure a deal like that one?
4: Yeah, so we Live Oak provides some combination financing, which is where you maximize the SBA 7A loan program at the five million dollars. And then you look to provide a conventional loan that is done through the bank in a second or shared lien position. And those can be, you know, up to, I will say pre-COVID, you know, we were looking at those up to an additional three and a half million dollars. So you could in turn get $8.5 million in financing through one institution. Um, obviously, the ability and possibility of the SBA going from five million to ten million could be really beneficial for some of those larger size companies. So yeah, there is a way to do it. And that's um, one thing that Live Oak has been very successful and done quite a few of those deals over the years.
3: Yeah. So why don't, I mean, this isn't a question, but I I think it'd be helpful. There was some questions about like, you know, I'm I'm looking to finance a restaurant or an e-commerce business or stuff like that. And it's different for every lender. Lynn, you talked about this, Sean, you talked about it, but, um, why don't you guys just like really briefly so people understand what Live Oak and Bank United are looking at in terms of deals, you know, what, what are deals that are really in your wheelhouse? And then what are things that can't get done? Um, Right now with your bank and, and for everybody on the call, just remember, again, there's SBA guidelines, but you're borrowing money from a lender and from a bank. So the, the, these are going to vary bank by bank. But I know there's a lot of been a lot of specific, especially industry driven questions. So If you guys could touch on that. And Lynn, maybe we'll start with you.
5: Sure. So I, I, a lot of times the bank has a certain um, mix of industries that they want in their portfolio. So like, let's say hotels, um, for instance. So if, if your bank is, is hitting up against the percentage in their portfolio of hotels, if they're like, okay, we're, you know, we hit that, that point, we, we got to back off, we can't do any more hotels. So, you know, they'll come in and they'll say, well, we're not going to do hotels for a while until that portfolio pays off. And then they'll start adding more. So with Bank United, we weren't doing hotels, we are doing hotels, but now with the COVID, it's a little bit more difficult until they all open up. So we'll see what happens. But um, with Bank United, we you know, we don't have an appetite for cross-country hauling businesses. Um, really there are there are minimal businesses that will say we just won't do. Uh, we will look at certain industries a little bit more critically um, than others. We'll have to look at the experience of the buyer. Um, some industries, we want to have specific direct industry experience. Some industries will be okay with you know, uh, relative experience um, or relative experience. So it, I, it all just depends on the on the industry. Um, we're, we don't really like to say we're just not lending that to that industry. Um, it, it, it really I go back to the case-by-case case basis. It's, it's, a, it's a, um, a matter of the strength of that business they're buying, you know, where it is, what the location, what's, who who the buyer is, what their experience, what their, what their financial capability is, um, is really what we look at.
4: Yeah, and I would say for Live Oak Bank, we are relatively industry agnostic. Um, We do have 26 different industry verticals where we have experts, domain experts that either came out of that field and may not be lenders, um, where we have some additional knowledge and understanding of that. Um, Outside of that, we would look at the majority of industries. Um, There's probably some that are more challenging for us when it comes to Restaurants, non branded, um, hospitality. I would say businesses that have a focus uh, around single family home construction are challenges uh, for us. Um, in addition to, um, you know, e commerce is kind of a, a, an unknown industry where we would look more towards someone that has uh, really deep experience along with. Um, and existing, the company's been around for a while, but outside of that, we're, we're industry agnostic. Um, so there's probably five or six, um, company or business types that we don't participate very well in.
2: I, I see some of the questions are, uh, looking at what kind of businesses, uh, can you buy, like we're, there's going to be bargains out there, right? So there's a few things going on. Number one, there's bargains because there's uncertainty in the market and certainly. Uh, Incomes are going to drop over these three months to who knows how long the hangover will be once we kind of come back from this. Um, And so we base valuations on that. So I'm sure you're going to as well. And the other thing is there's going to be some bankruptcies and things. Are there opportunities for people to buy things even out of bankruptcy? So
4: I would say that, you know, turnaround businesses have always been a little bit challenging where I think there could be some opportunity is if it's an existing business in that field. Maybe it's a competitor, or maybe it was you know someone that wants to go vertical or horizontal in that industry, and they have an existing company where we can look at that cash flow and that history as opposed to the bargain that they are buying. Um, but if I, I would say that if you were just a private individual looking to buy a business at what you thought was a discount because of non-performance, I think that's going to be challenging. I think those are deals where you're going to need to raise equity, you know, seller carry, Andy, you and I, and Jessica have all talked about this. Those may be, you know, you bring in some more equity than you necessarily would with an SBA loan. And then you look to the seller to carry that or a combination of those.
3: Yeah. And I will, like, I'll, I'll jump in here too. I know there's lots and lots of questions, um, but if you're looking to buy a business, we don't, um, you know, you, you're not expected to be an expert in how to finance the transaction. You know, that's where you really want to uh, lean on your, your advisors, especially your business brokers in the deal. Like I know in our office, we have... Um, a whole sheet of all the financing partners we're working with and like what industries they prefer to do. If they're not doing certain industries, if they have a minimum loan size, if they have a maximum loan size, you know, if there's deals they won't do, and then we can talk about earnout structures and seller financing and all that stuff. So um, I I know there's been some questions too, it's like, I went to one bank and they said, no, just because um, one, one big myth, I think we get with SBA lending too, is like, if you, if you get denied for an you don't get denied for an SBA loan. You'll get denied from a bank, right? So if one bank says no, that doesn't necessarily mean that the deal is not going to work for another bank. So Andy, I know we've got a bunch of questions still, and we got about 15 minutes till top of the hour, which would be one of our longer podcasts. What do you think about doing just like a quick, like quick fire round? Just go down the questions and get them to answer it. (laughs) You're muted. (laughs) <laughs> and
2: the, the power went out here. It was kind of crazy. So <laughs> right in the middle of my podcast. So uh, real quick, uh, you you both loan 50 states, correct? Correct.
3: Okay. Awesome. And you guys are both doing 7A loans. And then if anyone's looking at 504 loans with real estate as well, right? Correct. All right. We're going to drop their contact information to the, the show notes too. I'm going to now just Fire, me and Andy are in take turns firing some of these questions of the Q&A. John, I'll start with you, so you'll get your questions from me. Lynn, you're going to get your questions from Aunt Andy, okay? All right, so, well, um, John, ahead. post-COVID, how many years a month-to-month month cash are SBA lenders going to want to see? Um, and how will they make adjustments for dips in cash flow during COVID?
4: I think from a working capital standpoint, you know, if we could look at three months, Um, minimum for post-closing. Each business is going to be a little bit different on that. And then for looking at the financials during COVID, that gets into detail and understanding the business, how they're going to recover, how quickly they can recover, what capacity they're going to recover at, what influences the state laws stay in place, all that has.
2: All right, Lynn, what's the minimum uh, credit score needed approximately.
5: Again, every lender looks at it differently. You know, we're about a 680. Um, I can tell you that. So uh, that usually that's around what most lenders are looking for. And, and then there's also some explanations sometimes that, you know, we can sure. look at.
3: John, what's the minimum um, loan duration for an SBA loan? Could you do a two or, five, two or five year loan instead of doing a 10 year term?
4: You could. And that's, Came up recently with six months being paid by the government, I think the biggest question is it boils down to cash flow. Could the business afford to amortize that debt that quickly? But there is no minimum amount of time that you could do alone. So
2: um, Lane, what about seller earnouts? Are they allowed? You know, can you wrap them into the equity? Yeah,
5: no, you can. Seller earnout, seller carries. Um look at them very much similar. Okay.
3: John, um, two-part question. Um, So I'm going to give you the first half now, then we'll kick Dylan and come back. Um, How long is it taking to close a transaction with SBA funding right now?
4: You know, if you're working with a PLP lender, you know, like Live Oak or Bank United, I mean, typically 45 (laughs) to 60 days is what you would expect under that. um, You know, that's normal, 45 days.
2: Go ahead. And are there prepayment penalties these days?
5: Any any loan that's amortized under 15 years, there are no prepayment penalties. Above 15 years is the standard five, three, and one three first three years. On a on a seven A, the the, the five oh four is a longer prepayment penalty.
3: And I think that answers another question about getting penalized if you sell your business before your expiration of your SBA loan, John. So the second part of that question was what are fee, what are the fees that they're going to pay associated with SBA loans?
4: So the SBA guarantee fee is a sliding scale. It ranges between 2.15 to 2.75% of the loan amount. Um, And that is what funds the SBA program. So that goes directly to the SBA. That's not a bank fee. In addition to that, there's third-party fees, business valuation, UCC searches, recordings, attorney's fees, those sort of things that I would typically just, if you're looking for a rough number, would estimate, you know, around 10000 of third-party cost fees.
2: And Lynn, are you working with the SBA Express, and can you combine that with a 7A loan?
5: You can, yes, and that's what we like to do. So if there's a line of credit that's needed, we usually roll in an express loan. Um,
2: and just real quick, what's the express loan parameters?
5: Maximum 350, um, if I, they haven't changed that since, so last time I looked.
2: Probably
0: not.
5: Um, <laughs> and, it, and it will revolve for 20, the first 24 months. And then it will, whatever is outstanding at that time, it will amortize over the next five years. And, 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 and I believe we can actually make it go a total of 10 years if, if it's. Um,
4: Warranted. And there is a a temporary increase to that through December up to a million on the express. The
5: the CARES, through the CARES
3: Act. Uh, Here's one we have um, a buyer that is um, looking for a 7A term loan that contains a lot of goodwill. So it's mainly a cash flow lending deal that covers debt. The question is um, Will the lenders let us use the market valuation? Um, appraisal that, like, they would get from their business broker as opposed to a third party since there's not a lot of fixed assets. So, John, maybe talk a little bit about the appraisal process.
4: Yeah, so the SBA requires that a third party certified individual or company perform a business valuation. And it is separate. They actually don't take into account the tangible assets of the business, they're looking at the intangible values, either using a, a historical cap rate or, you know, what. Some business valuation folks have talked about now is using a discounted future cash flow. Um, there was just recently a um, webinar that uh, Darren Myers from GCF completed that I thought was very educational because I think I think that is a moving target. Um, he kind of said that you know there's kind of three different buckets of how the businesses will be valued, you know, but it's typically some multiple of cash flow. But with the impact of COVID being unknown and what the future is, um, you know, I think they will also look at historical and projected and the assumptions that go along with that.
2: Yeah, maybe one or two more.
3: Yeah, I think we got time for like one or two more. So you pick your best I question. I got
2: think. Len. I got Len. Uh, can you refinance an SBA loan with an SBA loan?
3: You
5: can. There are certain criteria that you have to meet but uh, you are, you are able to do that,
2: yeah, I Not guess that the,
3: easy, but you can do it.
2: Yeah. I would imagine that some people might be looking to do that uh, these days to extend the term. So,
3: um, and then we'll wrap up, John, I'll give you a, a simple question that was a clarification from your, what something you said before, but can you talk about what a preferred SBA lender is? Um, you know, how do they get that preferred debt designation? What are the benefits to working with a preferred lender?
4: Yeah, so to go back to that, it's a PLP status, which allows the bank to make decisions without having to send the file to the SBA, which is a lengthy and time-consuming process of 30 to 60 days. So the way that lenders obtain that is by having completed a certain amount of SBA loans, understanding the underwriting guidelines, the SOP, which is a standard operating procedure, and, and applying to be that. So, um, you know, most lenders that are in the SBA world are, but occasionally there's some community banks that aren't experts in this. Um, and you definitely do want to um, work with somebody that that specializes in SBA lending. You don't want to be a, a guinea pig for somebody that does one or two a year.
2: That's so true. So uh, I want to give both of our guests the chance to give their uh, contact information out. Lynn, I'll start with you.
5: Sure. It's Lynn Singletary and with Bank United. My phone number is 407-731-9555. An email is l-s-i-n-g-l-e-t-a-r-y at bankunited.com.
4: Great. John? And John Wall with Live Oak Bank. You can reach me by phone at 303-551-4453 or email me at john.wahljohn.wall at liveoak.bank.
3: Awesome. And we'll drop those down into the show notes too. If you haven't joined us for our podcast before, um, this, the new live podcast format is, is a COVID special, although we plan on continuing it. Um, but they're released every Wednesday, um, on your iTunes app or Spotify, whatever you want to listen to, listen to it. Or you can also visit our website at thedealboardpodcast.com. You can see all of our podcasts there. I think Andy, we're approaching a hundred, aren't we? Yeah, we're
2: getting close to a hundred, and uh, we're getting great feedback. Especially during this COVID crisis, people seem to have some extra time uh, to to listen to uh, podcasts, and so we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of good feedback, and we really appreciate it. And uh, so, if you could drop a uh, a nice uh, uh, referral on uh, iTunes and uh, and and. Thank you. Yeah. A review. Thank you. Yeah.
3: Leave us and, a five-star review on iTunes. That would be awesome. It'd yeah,
2: that'd be iTunes. awesome. And yeah. and I'll tell you, like, I think that today, I think what everybody can learn from today is that there's plenty of lending to be done out there. There's plenty of money left in the 7A program. Certainly for at least a month or three. Uh we, you know. Uh, there's plenty of opportunity, as you heard last time that we got together and talked about buying opportunities. So, I, you know, give us a call. we you know, people are ready to buy too. I, I tell you, I'm getting a ton of buyer calls already.
3: Yeah, yeah. The, there's there's a lot of opportunity in the market, and whether you use financing through a bank or not, there's there's multiple areas of opportunity. So if you're looking at things like we talked about, bankruptcies or businesses that are closed, I mean, there's a lot of restaurants that aren't reopening. There's tons of opportunities in the marketplace, and we're here to be your expert in the industry and really help you get the transaction closed. So we'll wrap it up here. If you have any other questions, I know we didn't get to them all, but you can reach Andy and I at the the podcast.com. That's our website. We got a couple more questions about that. And John and Lynn already gave their contact information. Their um, contact information will be on the show notes that are also on that website. So if you have any other questions for us, reach out. If you have ideas for, podcast, for future podcasts, let us know. Or if you'd like to join us as a guest, we'd love to have you.
2: Thanks to our moderator, Danielle. Thanks to John and Lynn again for coming aboard. Uh, thanks to Hakeem who's out there listening for... Uh, getting us, uh, uh, getting Lynn to uh, join us today. And, uh, Jessica, we'll do this again.
3: Yeah. Have a good weekend, everybody.
2: Thanks, Andy.
4: Thanks, Jessica.
3: Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our Deal of the Week. Deal of the Week. Sold. Welcome back everybody to the deal board. And today we are talking to Dustin from our Trans World business advisors office in Colorado. He recently closed a liquor store among the, uh, or I should say amid the whole COVID crisis. So we're still closing deals, but Dustin, welcome back to the show. And thanks for joining us today.
1: Hey, Jeff.
0: Pleasure to be back.
3: So tell us a little bit about the, you know, the backstory uh, of this liquor store. You know, what kind of store was it? Why was it for sale? All that stuff.
0: Sure. Yeah. There's a great little neighborhood kind of specialty liquor store. So they like to carry a lot of local Colorado products, uh, harder to find things uh, with a really great wine selection and whatnot. And it was started by four friends that went out and had drinks tonight and wanted to do a business together and thought a liquor store was the right choice. Uh, that was funny because none of them had liquor store experience and none of them actually could work in the business. So hmm. it's just like a passion project amongst buddies.
3: Fun, fun. So tell us a little bit about who bought the business in, and was it hard to sell during the current environment right now?
0: Sure. Yeah. Liquor stores are really interesting right now because they're deemed essential because if you're going to be locked inside with your family for months. You're probably going to want a bottle of wine. And so they're all doing really well right now. Um, The owner of the liquor store actually came from, he just sold another liquor store. Um, And so he got out of that partnership there, looked to do something on his own, and he had an E2 visa, so he had a really short time frame to work within.
3: Nice. And for those of you listening, an E2 visa actually provides um, a visa to people that are coming from international countries, most countries, not all of them. And if they purchase a business of a certain size and certain number of employees... Uh, they're granted the visa to stay in the U.S., so it's it's a really popular way to acquire a business if you want to immigrate to the U.S. But um, let's talk a little bit about the numbers. How is this transaction structured? What did what did he end up paying for the business, and did he use any type of financing methods?
0: Sure. Uh, we originally had the business listed at ninety nine plus inventory. He offered seventy, including inventory, and inventory was pretty small in the store. It's only about twenty thousand then through some due diligence stuff, you know, decided to renegotiate that. And so the final price was a screaming deal of $50,000, including inventory. Uh, he paid in cash and that made life easy.
3: Wow. Screaming deal, but cash is king too. So the seller gets to walk away with $50,000 in cash today, not having to wait, wait for seller financing payments over time. So exactly, not uh, kind of a win-win. It at least gives gives both sides something positive. So the other, yeah, he it,
0: was, sorry, I was going to say he was really happy when the the funds in his account on friday
3: i'm sure i'm sure so the other interesting thing you had to work through is you're closing this deal um, and the government's not working right now or they're working from home which is always an interesting thing to see the government adapt to work environments so tell us a little bit about how there's a license right so tell us a little bit how the liquor license transfer process worked during this time period
0: Correct. So in Colorado, we get a temporary liquor license while we wait for our permanent when we sell a business. And typically that temporary license is about five business days. Right now, I want to say we were about 23 business days to get that license. Uh, A big part of it and a big part of the slowdown that we have is people are expanding their patio space so that they can have social distancing Uh, And still be able to sell alcohol on premise as far as restaurants go. And so that was kind of clogging the the normal system. But we were still able to get it done. And it just took a little uh, extra string pulling and, and talking to the
3: right people. All right, So probably a temporary thing, but overall it sounds like it was a great deal. It got done during the crisis. Seller got paid. Buyer got a good deal. Um, really sounds like a, a win for both parties. So thanks Dustin yep. for joining us on the show um, and sharing the story. If someone wants to reach you about selling or buying a business in Colorado, how can they get in touch with you?
0: Oh, best way to get a hold of me is to shoot me an email at Dustin at TWorldDenver.com or give me a call, 970-618-9330.
3: Awesome. And we'll drop that into the show notes. Thanks again.
2: Thank you. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for listing of the week. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And it is Listing of the Week, and we have Charles Palmer from Transworld Business Advisors of Nashville. What a great city, Nashville. Up-and-coming city, lots of people moving there. And, Charles, you have a good deal for us to talk about today.
1: Hey, I sure do, Andy. appreciate the time on the broadcast. Yeah, we've got a great family-owned uh, pizza, rent, pizza restaurant. Uh, it's been family-owned in the community for 17 years. Uh, passed down from mother to daughter about seven years ago and the, uh, the daughter's been doing great uh, in the business uh, she's developed a couple of health problems with one of her uh, dependents so she's interested in trying to move on um, the specifics on this particular restaurant is they do uh, an Italian themed uh, um, menu excuse me uh, and they have uh, seating for over a hundred inside and a 35 seat um Position outside for uh, tables and chairs and overhead cover. Um, so I know you like talking about numbers. So let's get specific on this one.
2: Yeah, go
0: ahead. Uh,
1: so the asking price, sorry, the asking price is one hundred seventy-five thousand uh, dollars. We've got an SDE uh, projected at one hundred seven thousand dollars annually. Now I know you're doing the math in your head, so that's less than two times SDE, which, which is our standard. Well, I've got a motivated seller here, so I think we've got a really good opportunity for a buyer to come in, uh, buy a business that's below market price, and really take it to the next level. Uh, they haven't been doing a lot of marketing recently just because of the health problems that the family's been experiencing. Right. So with a new owner shutting down for, for a week or so, uh, giving it a refresh and doing some digital marketing and some campaigns, got a really good potential for upside on this uh, family-owned business in an up-and-coming area.
2: Yeah, I mean uh, the whole Nashville area is up and coming, but uh, you know there's nothing better uh, to make money or your first restaurant to buy a pizza place. I mean, you know it's pretty much dialed in that if you do good, if you do good pizza, you're gonna do okay, especially in a growing place like Nashville. So Charles sounds like a great deal. Uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way
1: is cell phone, and my cell phone number is area code six one five. 962-4464. Or you can reach me by email at c Palmer at eworld.com.
2: All right. Nice beats baller in Nashville, Tennessee. Come and get it. Thanks, Charles. Thanks for coming on today.
1: Thank you, Andy.
2: Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends on social media. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions, would like to appear, or have suggestions for topics for the show, get in contact with us through our website, thedealboardpodcast.com.
0: Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit
1: education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.